0: What's going on? This is the Saturday Night South podcast presented to you by Texas Pete. I am Conro Guerra. Will, for the first time since the Harry Truman administration, who could forget, <laughs> Michigan, sole winner of a national championship. Michigan fans don't like when you say that. They really don't. They're like, hey, you know, we're the real national champs in 97. Okay? Shared? No, no, no. That's not how this works. But no, undisputed national champs. Michigan is a game that, man, I thought was going to be really, really good at the end, and that it just wasn't. We're going to dig into to all of it, but there was an expectation that Michigan would just find a way, and that's exactly what they did, and man, I, I did not think coming into this season, coming into this decade, really, that Michigan would be standing alone atop the college football world, but here they are.
1: Yeah, I think nineteen was it 1948, the Harry Truman administration is, I think, the longest we've ever gone back. If not, like, one of the really jokey ones. It's like 1902. Yeah. Um, yes, now I am become Jim Harbaugh, destroyer of worlds.
0: <laughs> Look, I think that we have to always reference the presidential administrations on this podcast. I can't promise you that we're going to be able to just name it off the top of our heads. And that's going to be, be consistently be a strength. I'm always going to do my best. I take pride in that. I truly do. But if we can provide context with presidential administrations, we're, we're definitely going to do that. Plan for today. No interview. We're treating this like a recap pod. That's essentially what it is. We're talking national championship and then way too early top 10 for 2024, which is always fun. Everybody has those out before the national championship even kicks off. Uh, I think we're doing two different ones. I'm doing the top 10. You'll see this top 10 on SDS as well. And then Matt Hayes is doing uh, his own. I think he's doing his own full top 25 later in the week. So if you don't see your team in the top 10, yell at me. And then just hope that Matt has it in his top 25. Um, But yeah, Michigan did it. Well, Michigan did it. This game, in my opinion, was closer than what that three touchdown spread or not three touchdown spread. The three touchdown margin would probably suggest if you didn't really tune into this game and you just looked at the numbers at the end, you saw Michigan over 300 rushing yards. You saw they won this game by three touchdowns. You said, ah, Michigan, they just bullied them. This was not even close. I do think that Michigan deserved to win this game, but there was a huge sequence in the fourth quarter of a one touchdown game. When Washington had – basically just weathered the storm after Michigan had more 40-yard runs in the first quarter than Washington had allowed in the entire season. I, I thought, look, this is shaping up to be a blowout. Hopefully it's not 65-7. to seven. But Washington had a chance to make this a true down-to-the-wire game when they were, they were possessing the ball in the fourth quarter with a chance to tie it. Panics finally hit Dunze downfield after they just were not on the same page. All night and yeah. especially that fourth down play earlier that everybody's gonna be talking about for a while, where Penix looked like he was expecting Adunze to take the route away from the safety over the top, and he wanted him to be able to cut it back to the sideline. And Adunze just wasn't on that that same level with his quarterback, had his feet kind of tingled up, and that play did not end up going Washington's way on fourth down. But eleven minutes left of a twenty to thirteen game. It looks like Dunez catches this 32-yard pass to get into Michigan territory, and instead, you see Penix. And instead of showing a quarterback celebrating, maybe breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief, Penix doesn't even move because he knows that they've called holding on the Washington right tackle. Pretty borderline call, in my opinion. Even Herb Street, who was excellent on the call when he wasn't, you know, jet setting to call an NFL game and showing us about the millions of miles that he's traveled. Uh, he was awesome on the call. He was really, really good. He didn't think that there was anything on replay that he could point to and definitively say was a hold. They bring in the rules expert, Matt Austin. Um, but they, they call it. They call a hold on, this, on the right tackle on that play. And instead of first and 10 at the Michigan 35, Washington has second and 20 from its own 23. As Fowler mentioned, a 42-yard swing on that play. Huge, mm-hmm. huge play in a 20-13 to 13 game in the fourth quarter of a national championship. Washington punts. Michigan takes over. McCarthy was en route to a Greg McElroy, Texas line for a national championship quarterback.
1: I mean, well, it, something we almost thought we'd never see again. We joked about how things used to be different. This is a pretty classic 2000, you know, mid-2000s, like, random quarterbacks that line in a, in a, in a going away national championship with
0: did not think that we would ever get to that place where I'm like, wait a minute. He's got
1: three completions this late into the game.
0: It it just wasn't there. And he like his big plays were with his legs to, to that point. Um, But yeah, it was, 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 I mean, that, that told you kind of this, that this identity of this Michigan team and what they were, they were trying to do and what they did successfully. Um, But yeah, on that very, very first play of the next drive after Michigan takes over leading by a touchdown McCarthy hits, Colston Loveland for the 41 yard gain to get to the Washington 30, but replay showed a much more egregious holding call on the Michigan right tackle that went uncalled in that spot. I thought I saw it in real time and then they showed the replay and it was pretty clear that it was holding and it was missed Mm -hmm. and it was not called. I clipped it and tweeted it. Michigan fans had totally rational reactions to that as Um,
1: always, as they're known to do. They were putting on a third piece of championship gear. They were sitting there with two pieces of gear. They were putting on the third, <laughs> angrily typing at you. It was a perfect night for them. Really?
0: Well, by that point, they might have had their fourth piece of gear on. I mean, they were just setting all sorts of records. They're like, don't I think I have a Michigan wristband somewhere in my dresser? That I need
1: to... <laughs> with each beer, a new piece of gear comes on. <laughs> it's,
0: it's unbelievable. What's the opposite of strip poker? Uh, it's Michigan fans putting on more and more gear. That's just what they do. Every time they would show a crowd shot. I just be like, I count three pieces of gear on that guy. Oh, that is that one? No, that's two. That woman's got a hat on too. A Mich- that's a Michigan hat. Yeah, there always is. They, that's why so I tweeted
1: that. She was like, this dude saw something here. He saw something on film because, yeah, it's like they all went to the same store. They all have like the same shirt. On. Anyway.
0: I'm t- I'm telling you, see Michigan fans in the wild and count the amount of pieces of gear they have. They will never be just one. That is a Conor gear guarantee. So Washington fans also... Not exactly the most rational reactions very emotional state that they were in as well and the yeah. whole like hey this is the conspiracy theory ESPN wants Michigan to win that's new I hadn't heard that one before okay
1: I'm glad you said that I didn't realize how much of a subconscious conspiracy theorist guy I was until I watched this game because I realized I wanted to like mentally I, I immediately went oh yeah Michigan big money team you know the powers would be want them to win and I went. This team cheated all year. <laughs> I don't think the powers that be actually want them to win. And I was like, "Huh." I think it's just bad officiating. I think that's all it is. Oh, it was just bad officiating.
0: Uh, yeah. I, I think it was. But yeah, you, if, if you watch the game, you know what happened after that. Michigan scores, makes it a two-score game. Penix is trying to make a play on that next drive on fourth down after getting into Michigan territory, and it's more or less a pick six. I mean, it's, it was an eighty-one-yard return, and in seven minutes, Washington went from knocking on the door of a game time touchdown to being down three touchdowns. Like, that is how quickly this got away. And I bring that up not to say that it's just all about the refs. The refs are to blame. Washington got hosed. Washington got robbed of a national championship. I bring that up to say these moments are fleeting. Mm-hmm. And that is a great reminder of it because that's as close as Washington has been to a national title in 32 years. 33 years old. OK, it was yeah. one, the last time that they were that close to college football immortality and boom, just like that. You're watching your legend, Michael Penix, Jr. walk off the field, holding his ribs, knowing that that guy left everything out there. He left some throws out there, no doubt about mm-hmm. it, but blood, sweat, tears. I mean, he, he left it all out there. The toughness that, that he showed just to be able to stay in that game when you knew he was hurting, man, like he needed to make more throws to win that game. But, I mean, he was just off. And I think that Michigan's defense deserves a lot of credit. The pressure that they were able to put on him, all the different stunts. Like Michigan, the way that they stunted against elite competition and still kept offensive lines on their heels, it was remarkable. It felt like so many times they would, they would confuse the offensive line to the point where they'd have a free rusher coming in. Like the pressure packages that Jesse Minner was dialing up, was it, it was tremendous. And that was, in my opinion, a huge, huge factor in that game. And look, I get it. Many listening to this, many who watched that game last night, you're not going to want to credit Michigan at all for this. You will never credit Michigan for winning this national championship. And I'm not saying that I blame you for having that stance and feeling like, wow, Michigan cheated. They got to this point. We shouldn't celebrate that. We should instead question it and question where the sport is as a whole that they were allowed to play in this game. I get that standpoint. I think it's okay to feel like Michigan clearly did something egregious while also acknowledging that going 15-0 and in this sport is no joke. It's just not. It's only
1: happened four times. and. I know if you are a Georgia or LSU fan, you're probably going, "Well, you guys beat like two good teams, and they're in the playoffs." I get it, but 15 to zero is 15 to zero. We've seen in the NFL over and over again how hard it is to win that many consecutive football games, especially. I think that alone. Cheating or not, you know, all our teams are cheating, fellas. Now, it's not as bad as Michigan. I understand that. But at the same time, like, I'm with you, and I think that my feelings are so conflicted about this this Michigan team, which is part of the reason why I wanted Washington to win, because that was very, you know, cool. It was something I hadn't seen before because of the talent composite and all that. But it was something I could quickly understand. And I think with Michigan, we're kind of sitting here, and it's like, you know, I mean, I don't even know. I mean, the, the immediate where's Jim Harbaugh going stuff has moved in all kinds of directions since then, but it, it we'll was just a very too. weird. What's yeah, up?
0: We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll discuss kind of the, the Harbaugh part of this for sure.
1: Yeah, and, and that's just, it was all just a weird experience because it was like, I want to sit here and enjoy this. I really do. I, as a football understander, a football appreciator, I'm like, you know, this is cool because of 15 and 0, finally got, you know, the, the. You know, you, you proved all the doubters wrong or whatever. You beat Ohio State three times in a row. Like, all the stuff that Harbaugh has done, you know, in a way is cool. But then, as we're talking about, you kind of look at it and you're like, yeah, but how much of that is going to count? As like, Take everything else. How much of that is going to count is the question that was in the back of my head. Like, all the opinions, all the whatever. It's like, dang, like, that's my only kind of hold back. Because if they, if they do the investigation, they're like, hey, you know, we don't want to open this can of worms. It really wasn't as bad as some other teams, whatever. I guess I'm cool. But that's that was just the question I found myself asking, ask you know?
0: You're not alone. There's plenty of people across college football who don't feel particularly fond of Michigan. Maybe they liked their style and kind of wish their team would adopt some of that. And all the fans of oh well culture and and beating you in the trenches and doing it the old fashioned way. There were probably a lot of people watching that last night, whether they admit it or not, who saw what Michigan did and thought, dang, I can get on board with that. I, yeah. I loved watching that style
1: and jim harbaugh's right. dad looking like a copy paste of him in an age machine the like and i've talked about before the uh who's got better than us nobody that's cool i like i don't care who. the fact that they both do that is so cool
0: lauren at one point said that that's just jim harbaugh in, in, in with a filter or something yeah like that, that, that is just jim harbaugh like his dad is is a clone copy of him like if I, and i always thought john and jim looked a lot alike but they like the amount of times that I've seen images of Jack and I've had to do a double take, you know, with all the filters that are on you know, Snapchat now and you, you can do the, the old man filter on Instagram, whatever mm-hmm. it is I'm like I, is we got 4K cameras. Did they just do that? Is this just that's just him in 30 years or whatever. Um, but yeah, look, we don't know whether or not those 15 wins that Michigan got will count for the rest of our lifetime. We, we don't know what the NCAA is going to do and if they're going to strip wins. You know who doesn't care? It's Michigan. Yeah. Michigan doesn't care. The NCAA could literally show up to that championship parade, force them to cut the music, announce that Michigan's entire 2023 season is being vacated. And I would bank on Harbaugh doing what you just said, getting up to the microphone and just shouting, who's got it better than us? Nobody. Like, would anybody surprise, be surprised if that happened? Michigan fans would just go back to celebrating. They wouldn't care. You can call it selling your soul to the devil, rooting for cheating, but there's something that we need to be honest about, okay? And I'm not going to say that, oh, what Michigan was doing was what everybody was doing. That's, that's not what I'm here to say. Right. A lot of us are looking at this from the outside going, well, Michigan didn't do it the right way, and that's not worth standing for. We are the morality police, okay? that That is... The, the take that we want to have at this point, because it feels like something was taken from somebody else. And that is just something that we in sports and I think in a lot of different elements of life, when, when there is something that is potentially unjust, we like to take the side of the unjust. If you're maybe like an Alabama fan, Georgia fan, LSU fan, a totally unbiased Ohio State fan who I'd love to hear about and think that they're totally rational at this time. You're telling yourself that your team didn't need to cheat the way that Michigan did to win a national title. Winning a national title is so freaking hard. It yeah. is so freaking hard. Michigan made the splashiest hire in program history, and it took nine years to finally get that done. And that's for a program with more wins than anyone in the history of this sport. And I realize I'll a lot of those. They'll tell you that every day. They, think- <laughs> they will. Hey, winningest program of all time. Don't check yeah. that we're facing hardware stores for some of those wins, but we got it done. And that's something you can't take away from us. If I told an Ole Miss fan or a Tennessee fan, Hey, I'll give you a 15 and season, but there's going to be an NCAA cloud that hangs over you. People will say that you cheated your way to a title. You're going to be public enemy number one. And they'd be like, anything else? Is that, is that it? Every one of those fans would sign up for that. Every one of them, I I Mm -hmm. truly believe that you will live with the consequences, blindly defend your team and soak in every second of standing atop the college football mountain, because you know how hard this is. The least surprising thing is that even Michigan, the fan base that, as you said, they're going to let you know how smart they are. That's what they're going to do. They have gone totally all in with this team amid scandal. That is not surprising. And even Harbaugh saying afterwards that Michigan is innocent. (laughs) Never mind the fact that Michigan dropped a lawsuit against its own conference for the suspension. Like That is a reminder that Michigan is living in its own world and they don't care about outside perception. Winning one is special. Again, go ask Tennessee fans. 25-year anniversary of that feeling, of feeling like 98. And I'm sure plenty listening to this would do anything to go back to that year of feeling like nothing can stand in your team's way. Even Arkansas leading late in your own building. You need a certain quarterback to trip over a center and have a fumble. That is just the most untimely thing ever. Like, th- these are the moments that you as a college football fan will bottle up. You'll put away and you'll say, Nobody's ever going to take that from me. Nobody's ever going to take that from me. When a coach is hired, they always say how they want to win championships, championships, plural in reality. And this isn't the politically correct thing to say. This isn't going to rile up the masses. They should probably just say, I want to win a championship. I want to win a championship. If you win one, you're a legend very few coaches. I would like to be
1: coach o. I would like to just have my yep. one shining championship everything else eh.
0: if, if if LSU fans had known when he was hired I'm going to win a championship they would have said fast forward to that I don't care if you're going to get 18 million dollars and if you're going to totally fall off and you're not going to handle success the way that you should you're going to get us one you're going to get us
1: a title yeah okay mm-hmm. Yes, sign sign me up. The goat, Gene Chiswick, same deal. Like the Cam Newton season. I'm gonna remember that forever. That season was so sick.
0: You will never be able to take that away. You mm-hmm. will never no, no matter what the NCAA says about these wins and that title, I think they're taking away Reggie Bush's Heisman. Reggie Bush still won the Heisman. Okay. Like yep. and, and it's not to say that all things are equal. That's not what I'm saying. Like Reggie Bush getting a house for his parents isn't the same as stealing signs. Is not what I'm saying? Yep. But in your own head as a fan. You live in this world, and you live in this world where all you want is to see your team celebrating the ultimate achievement. That is it. Very few coaches fail to win a national championship and then exit on great terms. That is our sport. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit too pass-fail at certain points, and we should probably have a little bit more nuance, but that is reality with how quickly public perception can shift – when you are not the guy that can win a national championship. And if you don't believe that, go look at the approval rating for the likes of Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day and James Franklin. Harbaugh was part of that conversation for the majority of his time at Michigan. He was. And then he finally did it. And he finally did the one thing he set out to do when Harbaugh was hired. His tenure was always going to be defined by winning a championship. It wasn't going to be defined by just his record against Ohio state, which is still just three and five. It's actually more like two and five, but he gets credited for the win this year, even though he was suspended for it. That's a little bit messed up, not not totally on board with that, but it was always just going to be about winning a title. And he did that. That's why I think he's done. I think he's going to move on to the NFL. I do believe that's going to happen, whether it's my Chicago bears or the chargers, the Raiders or whoever, whoever, I think can that the bears his time finally
1: helped me for once on like Sunday, please say what now I said, can the bears finally help me for what to get Harbaugh out of here on like Sunday. I was rooting for the bears all day Sunday. And what'd they do?
0: Oh yeah. I forgot. I totally forgot about that. I was again in my own world, just focused yeah. on having, having the Packers be unhappy for a day. But you know, when you're a bears fan, you just can't have nice things and that's just not realistic. So why would we expect that? Um, but yeah, that's, that is reality. For, for a college football fan base that mm-hmm. will do anything for a title, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and Michigan was in that spot. He set out to do the exact thing that he probably thought about his entire life. When he's a kid growing up and his dad is an assistant in Michigan and he's a Michigan fan, he never got to see his team win a national championship. When he was a player and he was a guy that finished third in the high, he's been voting and he's this Michigan hero and he couldn't win a national championship. He did what his idol, Bo Beckler, problematic. Couldn't do. Okay. And he did so by any means necessary. Michigan fans will always love him for that. Even if they said, it's not just 2023 that we're going to take all the wins away from. We're going to take away your 2022 wins. We're going to take away your 2021 wins. We're going to say that you actually never went to a playoff, even though you went to three, they don't care. I think among Michigan fans, he has reached a status that is one of one, one of one. Yeah. Like that won't change, even if the NCAA finds that Harbaugh himself was at these games and just in full disguise, which is an image that I need to see. If the NCAA finds that out, we need to see those images, please and thank you. Mm -hmm. But it won't change his standing, and that's all he cares about. That that's all. If anything, gosh, and I'm saying a lot. That would probably help. with Michigan fans (laughs) and be like oh man that guy that guy did even more than we realized to be able to win football games and that's kind of all you can hope for at any given point it's a strange set of circumstances but maybe it can only happen like this maybe this was the only way Harbaugh was going to reach this place in college football was being able to do the the us against the world type thing Mm -hmm. scandal doubters cheating the whole deal uber competitive like this was such a quintessential Jim Harbaugh championship run that if you could have gone on Michigan message boards in two thousand eleven and typed out the sequence of events it would take to get to this point, you would have been laughed out of your out of the room. Message board geniuses would have posted this and everybody would have had fun at Michigan's expense.
1: But that you happened. You would be sliced bread, as Jim Harbaugh would say. You would be that weirdo lie, just like making up little fan fictions in your mind.
0: You'd be bro Bible, you know? That's yep. that, 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 that would be the, the forum for you. And instead, this thing happened. And it's, uh, it, it's going to be scrutinized for the rest of time by everybody except Michigan fans.
1: Yep. And that, this is an inopportune time for maybe my favorite quote ever, which is what Kobe Bryant said. Friends hang sometimes, banners hang forever.
0: It's true. It's true. Not the best night for Kobe with the, the Halliburton injury with he's wearing the, the Kobe high tops. Nobody cares about that. Um, I had my father-in-law texting me like, hey, did you see the Halliburton injury in the middle of the national championship? To be fair, to be fair, he is a diehard Pacers fan. And also to that. be fair, he, he, my father-in-law was texting me throughout that game. He stayed up two hours past his bedtime. They go to bed at like 830 to be able to mm-hmm. watch, uh, probably three hours past his bedtime, to be able to watch the full national championship because he wants to be able to talk college football at work. And he's embraced that part of his life. So he's, he's awesome for doing that. But I just got that text. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, I did not see this thing that happened in a Pacers regular season game. Um, well, I think Harbaugh's legacy is going to be one that's discussed in so many ways. And eventually we're going to do this thing. Probably. I don't know when I'm going to do it. When, when it's going to be the appropriate time but trying to figure out the great teams of the 21st century, the best coaches of the 21st century and Harbaugh having this asterisk on him is going to be always weird, always weird Mm -hmm. because there's nobody else really quite like what he did. And this Michigan team still embrace this exact mantra that he has preached from the jump and to think that he could have been fired post 2020 but I, I thought he was gone then too. Like I, mm-hmm. I thought that they were going to move on from him after six years. Um, and instead he takes the pay cut and this ultimately happens. But yeah, it's, it's uh, it's one of those years that is really going to be tough to, to ever put into proper context. And I feel like there's just always going to be that hate, maybe, maybe the least favorite national championship result for a lot of people. Do people hate this result? More than a Bama national championship? I wonder. I I wonder. I don't know if there's an overwhelming feeling on that.
1: Wow, that's a really great question. Just like neutral observers. I mean, gosh, that I almost want to put like a poll in the Facebook group or something because it's like, it's almost like the thing that's right in front of you is worse. So it's like, how many, like my life in Atlanta, Georgia, how often do I run into a Michigan fan? Maybe like I'm just, a person who's going to talk Michigan football with me maybe every couple of months, you know what I'm saying? Whereas like, I feel like the, like SEC teams are right in front of me. Like I always run into a Bama fan stuff like that. So I can just kind of pretend this didn't happen. Not to say that I will, but like, if I was just like, you know, I just want to act like Michigan did win a championship. No one would really stop me. You know what I'm saying? So I think, I, I honestly think that living our lives in the Southeast, it's almost worse to have your rival win because your buddies are going to tell you about it. Whereas like, you know, my one Michigan buddy is just fired up and I'm not going to dump on him and he's not going to dump on me, you know?
0: And you're going to see that Michigan fan at the airport that's decked out in six pieces of Michigan apparel.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: and you're just going to avoid them at all costs. And, and you're not going if, to, if they call your, they, they call your, um, um, like your, your section, your, your seating yeah, section your or whatever group, yeah. your boarding group. Yeah. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. You're not going to line up right behind that person. Gonna do what you can to just kind of stay away from them. Yeah, I, I think that there is a conversation about who the best teams of the fourteen playoff were, mm-hmm. and Michigan is so different in all of these than all of these other winners. I think maybe their comp is a little bit like two thousand fifteen Bama. Maybe that's the closest comp that we can come up with for this Michigan team, the Jake Coker led Bama team that obviously had Derrick Henry in a in a Heisman season that did it with an unbelievable defense. I think that I mean, might be the I closest like, comp. I
1: feel like the first Georgia team, honestly, because Derrick yeah. Henry is like, Derrick Henry is different. Like this team, just as much as I like Blake Corm, I think he's great. You know, they had a stable at running back. Derrick Henry was Derrick Henry. <laughs> like when you played Derrick Henry, you knew you were stopping. Derrick Henry And nobody did. And so point being, like, I actually would love to see that would be the best matchup to me is to see them for, play the first Georgia team with the like Jordan Davis and those boys and see like what, the, just what the lines of scrimmage would be, would be fascinating to me. You know,
0: I still think 2019 LSU would be considered the best team of the 14 playoff era. And then mm-hmm. after that is where it gets murky between the likes of 2018 Clemson, which went 15 and 0, the first 15 and 0 team that we had seen in the sport during the modern era. Um, and also I think 2021 Georgia would be part of this conversation. And then do you put 2023 Michigan in that group? Do you put them in that, that second tier and say, Hey, in any given day, maybe they, they'd be able to, to, to put together enough to win. Or is that too prisoner of the moment to say that this team for the flaws that they had, because I do think they had some flaws. Like, I don't think they had the depth at the pass catcher spots that really showed you that this team was explosive in the way that some national championship teams were even 2018 Clemson still had some of those dudes left on the outside and freshman Justin Ross was special. But I, I wonder how Michigan will be perceived 5-10 years from now as we look back on, on these teams of the 21st century because I do think you kind of have to default a little bit to 15-0 and 0 and you could say it's a Big Ten schedule, it's a Big Ten schedule. You beat Bama in a 14-0 Washington team. Yes, maybe it was a down Bama team, but still, I don't think that that Michigan's strength of schedule will be compared to what LSU went through. But at the same time, like, yeah, it's going to be considered one of the better teams of the 14 playoff era.
1: Well, I would say it like this. It's that, okay, if you are a, like, if you're a Bama fan, you're going to say that even in 2020, the teams that you played were had more talent, had more stars, had more stuff. I'm not gonna get into my opinions of 2020 again. You guys have heard it, you don't want to hear it again. But- Twenty
0: you're right though. Like 2020 is it's it's so hard to to legitimately like value strength of schedule when depth was such a question. And that's not my way of taking a championship away from Bama, if anything, it adds mm-hmm. more credit to what they did. That year by running the table and being as dominant as they were, but it's almost so hard to quantify as it relates to, to these other seasons with what Bama did that year. So it's yeah. I, I feel like I'm leaving them out, even though they were unbelievably dominant, but it's it's it feels like it should be kind of a category of its own like COVID season. It's not an asterisk, but it's like special set of circumstances. And I don't know if there's anything to fairly judge it against.
1: Yeah, and I'm right there with you. And the, the thing about that is that I feel like Pama fans are unified that that is their best team. And that's even why I'm using that as an example. But you could even talk about, you know, the teams that like, team that beat Watson, you know what I'm saying? Like, so any team, you know, if you're, see, Georgia's tough because they did play TCU too, but like, that's the other one that's like a little bit of like a they smoke tcu maybe if they played tcu close georgia looks better is a funny thing about that but yeah. point being or like like historic like if kirby had like really been like okay we're up two scores let me just sit on the ball here and try to let them come back and then squish them we might view that georgia team is better than oh well tcu didn't belong there but kirby did not think that way because he he's had all these like you know games kind of get away from him he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna be up Sixty, so we don't have a chance, uh, which I understand. But point being, like, I, you know, if your team won, or if you have a favorite team, you could look at the competition, and that—that that was my only point. Is that you know, if you are, I'm, I'm just going to take 2019 LSU because that's the team I obviously watched the most, like all the ranked wins, and then you get to the playoff and you play Jalen Hurts and then you play Trevor Lawrence, two NFL, you know, MVP level quarterbacks, and I think that that would be the only knock on Michigan is like, you know, the this is not the Bama team of your that was scaring everyone you know they had almost lost four or five games there's Jalen miller on the offensive line couldn't snap the ball you know it wasn't like and michigan still had miscues i actually didn't even really talk about the game let me like get into that really quick is that, is that cool
0: yeah sure i mean is is like the, is there I, other than the obvious of like hey michigan imposed its will by by having over the 300 rushing yards in this game and the things that they did defensively like what 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 stood out to you that, that you feel like is, is noteworthy that we should be remembering and, and talking about instead of just whether or not this this title will be vacated?
1: Yeah, I, I kind of almost want to zag on that. Like, that was my take um, while I was watching the game, which is that, you know, Michigan had a chance early to make this a blowout and, and do all that. And it felt like for the whole – it was like a donut game. I always joke about that. Like, the first quarter, Michigan was awesome. The fourth quarter, they were awesome. In the middle, they struggled – and I think part of that was both teams looked like they kind of like almost not had the yips because that's like more systemic, but it was like they just didn't. They were just kind of miscuing, and it felt like like so the takeaway that's always going to happen from a game like this, especially when the final score is what it is, is everybody going, "Yeah, these teams out west, you know, they get pushed around." Da da da. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, but Bama got pushed around just as bad, if not worse, and their offensive linemen are like five stars, 360 pounds, six seven guys, like the whole like. Outwest teams don't have size. I don't think this is the game for that because we had just seen the team with size, the team that was one of the biggest teams in the country, get equally dominated when it mattered, and especially as the game got away. Um, but, like, I'll say this. Like, I honestly just think it comes down to miscues. I just don't think Pinnock's played well. I, it, as tough as that sounds, yeah. I think that the rush was in his face. I get it. You know what I'm saying? But that was honestly something that Milrose did way, way better than him, as, as tough as that sounds, to be like, okay. Milrose was like, let me get something out of this play. Like, yeah, the guys are in my face. I'm going to get a three-yard rush. I'm going to live to die another day. I'm going to try to get a pass off. Like, in almost every big moment, it felt like Penix and Adunze, one of them was going to screw up. And, like, that sounds mean, but it's like, you know, the times that Penix was on time, Adunze made a mistake. The times that, like, Adunze was on time, the throw was high. Like, there was just so many throws that were – and, like, you know, you could say, okay, well, that's because the pass starts, because X, Y, and Z. But we just saw that same pass rush be just as effective, if not a little bit more against Alabama. we saw Milro not get his route. He wasn't in win, right? But and, and he didn't play well. I'm not going to say Milro was like this hero of this game, but he wasn't out there just straight missing wide open dudes. And that was what was happening by kind of the third and fourth quarter. And, you know, to come out and throw a pick, you know, like you had that tweet that was so good about this game that was like, yeah, Michigan had, you know, 200 plus yards in the first quarter. And, uh washington has a chance to come out and tie it at half like coming coming out of I mean, halftime half. with the yeah. ball to tie the game and i saw that tweet and i was like okay feel good if you're the huskies da-da. they come out and immediately turn the ball over yep. and again you could say oh my gosh the rush was his face what could he do Through the guy who was double covered when there was a guy who like that guy was never going to make that play you got to throw the ball away you got to find a way to just not throw it to a double covered guy in that spot and That was something that Milro did a little bit better. And like I said, I'm not the biggest Milro guy. So I have to then say, if I picked Washington because I thought Michael Penix was going to have a statement game and elevate his team over McCarthy, who didn't have a great game, this win was there for Washington. Like, the takeaway for the ages is going to be Michigan was unstoppable. They pushed Washington around. Washington didn't have the size. And I saw a game that, like, Washington had chance after chance after chance after chance to win. And the guys weren't on the same page. And on the other side of it, Michigan's early touchdowns, a lot of it was, hey, we talk about the hole, whatever. A lot of it was second chance. A lot of it was a guy, gets stopped, bounces back, runs around. Huge makes hole. Like, yep, yep. Those backs were so good at after contact. And so, like I said, I think the the take of, well, they were just getting these wide open holes, this is easy. No, nah, like the, the, the points that put them ahead were hard-fought points that – most running backs would go down, but they had skill. They were making individual plays, so I, I think that's just like more of a nuanced like look at, and it doesn't matter because the it, end it, result yeah. is what it is. But I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that because I really, really, really do think that Washington, Michael Penix, all of them had a chance to win this game. I think they they. It's weird. I felt like they were prepared, but they didn't execute.
0: You know. I I agree. I, look, I, I don't think that Ryan Grubb would would tweak. The, the game plan that much and exactly and say like, Hey, should you have run the football more? Like you saw Dylan Johnson early, the Mississippi still state right. transfer. Like that guy was not at hundred percent. Herbie was saying, yeah, he looks like he's at about 70. You can tell when he's kind of cut into his left, he just doesn't have that same burst. And so you turn into a one dimensional offense, even more than usual, even though you're bottom 10 in the country and rushing yeah. attempts per game. But this was still like a game that if you looked at this through the second and third quarter, you felt like this is a pretty evenly played game. Washington did things to adjust in the ground game to where all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, Michigan's getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage to the point where Harbaugh was so in his own head at one point where that fourth and three play where they're throwing the football. You're like, what what is Michigan doing? Michigan Mm -hmm. is trying to give this away. And there was an opportunity that was there for Washington. But as you mentioned, yeah, that's the other key sequence of the game. If Washington comes out and, and simply is able to put together a deep drive that uh, at least pins Michigan back or, or, or they get, they get a field goal out of it. I, I think the complexion of that probably third quarter changes even. And, and instead it's, it's, it's this reminder of like, Oh, Washington, just there's just not quite on that level. They're not quite at the level that you need to be at to, to win a national championship. And I think Washington fans would, would agree even the most, you know, the most scorned by officiating would, would still admit that, but you know, it is interesting how when you get through Bama, it changes how we talk about you. There's only one team mm-hmm. in the playoff era that won a national championship without having to get through Bama, and it was 2020. It was 2022 Georgia. Everybody else, it was either Bama or you got through Bama. And so yep. that that is always going to be like this barometer for everyone else. And so we say like, oh well, if you're if your defensive line dominated against Bama, then surely you will dominate against Washington as well. Like, ignoring the fact that Bama up front was inconsistent this year, and that was a Joe Moore award winning offensive line that Washington had. And that
1: felt fraudulent. I will say that. I would much rather give that to Michigan because neither playoff game, they couldn't run the ball. It wasn't like Pinnock's was back there chilling. You know, I wouldn't even give it to Oregon. I think Oregon had, if you look at their rushing attack and their passing attack, they disagree. were holding dudes. Like, what's up? I disagree. I like here's, here's the, was thing. the best offensive line in of football.
0: I, I yes, the Penix had been sacked 11 times all season before that game. And their rushing efficiency was actually better than what the, the overall number would suggest. And for that group to be as aware of who their quarterback was. And it was something that Cole brought up on the last pod was that, yeah, they didn't necessarily bully you and run the football in the same way that, that Michigan did. But at the same time, like I think Michigan's offensive line had moments down the stretch of the regular season where like you look at some of the, some of the games where McCarthy was taking like three, four sacks. That Mm -hmm. was not a flawless unit. Like it really wasn't, they couldn't get Donovan Edwards going in the way that they thought they were going to the efficiency with Blake Corham. Like, yeah, he gets into the end zone all the time, but there were moments where like, it just wasn't necessarily there. And they were there Mm -hmm. winning these games, controlling these games in part because of their defense. And also because they didn't turn the football over, but I had no problem with Washington winning the Joe Moore award as the best offensive line in college football for the job that they did with uh, an offense that you knew that they were going to want to throw the ball 40 to 45 times in a game. And the fact that they were still able to do that so successfully with their quarterback, knowing his injury history and knowing Mm -hmm. that you want to keep that guy upright. I have no problem with that. You know what I have a problem with? And we, we, it was, this was a topic of discussion in this game as well. Just the, the hindsight with handing out awards and yep. and handing out playoff berths. Miss me with all that. Yep. If you watched the Sugar Bowl and thought to yourself, ah, we messed up the Heisman. We should have accounted for this. We should have given Michael Penix the Heisman based on how he played against Texas. That tick sucks. Tick sucks. I'm sorry. Like, if you want to say that we should award the Heisman Trophy after the national championship, then we're just going to have a national championship MVP and it's going to be the Heisman Trophy. That's how this is going to work. Okay. Yep. That, that is how this is going to work. And if that, if you're okay with that, that know that that's what you're signing up for. And you will sign up for even more skewed takes on, on the most coveted award in college football. And nobody will have a chance to win that award if they don't make the national championship. So remember that, and mm-hmm. doing this thing where we try and say like, oh, the selection committee getting up there talking about, oh, well, we, we, we got the field right because it was this competitive oh, I game. That. I don't like that either. I don't like yeah. that either. That we, d- Your job is not to predict results. Your job is not to predict results. That is not what the selection committee is supposed to do. That is not what they have signed up to do in the previous nine years of this system. And the this notion that like, Oh, let's use these results to try and say that this team deserved to be in. And I missed this on the last pod, but when Florida state players came out and they were tweeting after Alabama lost to Michigan, man, miss me with that. <laughs> mm, that's loser that's... mentality. Florida state. I've stuck uh, up for you. I stuck up for you. Yeah. I I'm not sticking up for that. I'm not sticking up for that, especially when 63 to three happened. Okay. So, yeah. and that wasn't your team. I get it. That wasn't your team, but using this, like, Th- this hindsight is 2020 thing to justify things that have happened with new information sucks. I hate that people want to do that in college football because it's such a reactionary take that we need to get away from. And I hope we can yeah. get away from it.
1: Yeah. I mean, FSU fans, I saw that a little bit from Georgia fans. I'm not the guy that was like always looking for Georgia fans to be upset. Like, I get it. But it's like, you know, if you. It's, it's funny because it's kind of a troll in a way, right? Because if you're a Georgia fan, you can just be like, wow, we're, we're, the favorite on the neutral field thing, like I saw an AI graphic of a big Georgia Bulldog like pushing these two knees down. And I'm like, bro, cool. come on, man. Like, And it's, it's funny because we've almost seen – like Alabama fans do that in the early 2000s or the early uh, 2010s where it's like, well, this championship doesn't Alabama It didn't count. And so I get that. Like you want to do that as a Georgia fan because you're a defending champion, but at the same time, it's like, bro, like y'all had a chance to be here. Like FSU didn't even have a chance, I get them being mad. But it's like Georgia, Georgia was in this. Like,
0: Yeah. Uh, that, that whole, like using it to justify my take that I felt good about originally, or even walking back a take, it just, it doesn't yeah. make sense. It doesn't make sense. Um, any other thoughts about this before we do what everybody came here to listen to talk about the way too early top 10 for 2024?
1: No, I am all good. I, I think I will just put a bow on it like this. I think that we said that this would be a really chaotic season. And I think that as we got into kind of November, you know what I'm saying? We're like, ah, I don't know. Maybe this is going to be Bama, Georgia. Maybe it's going to be da da da. And then you look at it, you're like, Michigan, Washington. Huh? And that's, I thought that last time. I was yeah. like, this is a fitting in, you know, and I saw this like, after the split national title in 97, they made some changes. They add the BCS. Um, and then after this one, you know, same deal. Michigan wins a title under the cover of like scandal, all this different stuff. It's really poetic in to two different eras of college football, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, we saw a decade plus of, you know, SEC dominance, all this different stuff. It extended to before the CFP is why I'm calling it that. But the, the CFP was pretty roundly dominated by the SEC. And I think it was pretty cool to, on the way out, see a Washington team that, hadn't been there in so long to see these, get to know these players, know these guys still love Michael Penix. You know, I, I don't think that changes. It's not like that. I think he's less of a cool lad, like I'm less proud and fired up about what he did for that team. And then, yeah, I mean, same deal with Michigan. Like you said, regardless of how you think, you know, we're talking about the uh, the old Albert Einstein days, you know what I'm saying? We're talking about the near a hundred years ago when you get a solo national title. So yeah, I think it was cool to have some fresh blood in there. And I think that at the end of the day, you know, it's going to be a fitting cool end of the season or the era I mean.
0: First time that a non-Ohio State Big Ten team won a big revenue national championship. And by big revenue, I mean the four big revenue sports. That is football, four...
1: men's like and women's basketball, basketball.
0: basketball. <laughs> I was including baseball. Yes, baseball, which Big Ten, yeah. not necessarily something that it hangs its hat on. Uh, but yes, the first time that a non-Ohio State Big Ten team won a national title in one of those four big revenue sports since Michigan State won the 2000 NCAA tournament. The Flintstones, early Tom Izzo. Tom Izzo had a lot more hair back then. Um, 18
1: Cleaves, who could forget? 18
0: Cleaves, stud, absolute stud. Uh, Who else, Who's the guard on that team? Um, Peterson? Ah, I'm blanking. Wasn't Richardson. Wasn't Jason Richardson. Was it? I don't think
1: so. I don't know. I was six, so I got that. You don't remember that.
0: All right, let's talk way too early top 10 for 2024. Um, these rankings are final. I will have the same exact ranking when I do my way too early top 25 in August. These are locked in, etched in stone. I'll get them tattooed to my left calf. Um, you know how this works. Now, obviously these will change. But as of right now, as we sit here and breathe on January 9th, 2024, mm-hmm. this is my way too early top 10. Let's start with 10, Arizona. I'm going to break down all of these, by the way. So I'll, I'll go through the top ten, and then we'll, we'll have breakdowns for for the rest of it.
1: Mm-hmm. At
0: ten, I've got Arizona. At nine, your Missouri Tigers. At eight, your actual LSU Tigers. Seven, Oregon. Six, Ohio State. Five, Ole Miss. Four, Michigan. Three, Alabama. Two, Texas. One, Georgia. So, some takeaways. Any, you know what, um, anything initially that, that stands out to you before before I kind of run through each part of this.
1: Um, This is going to sound real stupid. You shouldn't have asked me that. So I'm going to be real. I see Arizona down there, and I thought to myself, like, surely they didn't find a way to keep fish, did they? Because remember, I was in Europe. They found a way to keep fish in Arizona. This might actually be a really good team next year because I remember he was like in every coaching search, and they expanded him. I'm like, good for them. So yeah, that actually is shocking because they finished uh, like 11th, I think, in the AP poll. I've obviously, the final standings have it come out, but. Um, so they have the come out, by like, the way, like,
0: you could pull up the AP poll right now. It came out at one. No, 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 I saw
1: the AP poll, but I'm talking about like the final CFP, whatever it is. I guess. No, I no, just no, no. That is the
0: final. There is no final okay. CFP poll. The CFP, the, the final know. CFP poll is what comes out before, before bowl season. So the AP poll is kind of the, like, that is the, the final
1: ranking. Yeah. 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 So I saw the final AP poll. There you go. I saw I was how high they were. I was like, Oh, good. Kind of good for them. You're right. It probably could be something going forward. You know, Washington is not up there and I get it, because Michael Penix is not coming back. They obviously are you know, when you get a team like that that gets noticed, you know, so stout gotta start looking at their guys. Like a lot of, like you even saw that with TCU last year where a lot of guys are like, Oh, this receiver, like da da da. So I get that. And and I was wrong about TCU this year. I was like, you know, we were be disrespectful to TCU. They were, you know, they'd be the championship game, they did all that. They were not a good football team this year. So yeah. I get it and I, I could see a little bit of that pathway for Washington just because of the talent composite. You know, not that I think they're going to be scrubs next year, but it probably will be a classic rebuilding year because, you know, and they already got um, our boy Will Rogers from Mississippi State, you know, like, which is a great pickup. I mean, that is a hand and glove fit for them. He was on the sideline um, for that game. So, uh, yeah, like, like it's the best place I think he could succeed. But point being, like, I, I get it. As much as I've defended Washington, I get why you could have an Oregon at seven. Um, they obviously have, had Dylan Gabriel coming in. Um, and then I get why Arizona could be 10 Washington's not up there because you kind of have to reprove it in that situation. Yeah. You know, we didn't give TCU the benefit of the doubt. Why are you, why you looking at me like that?
0: I'm looking at you like that because I had definitely factored the Will Rogers thing into why I didn't have Washington in the top 10.
1: Yeah. Is that bad? Uh, I think it's a great fit for him. Would you yeah. like that? I think that's the best place he could go to succeed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's a good bridge, the gap quarterback. They have a guy that is. That reclassified for uh, 2023, so he's going to be a retro freshman next year. But he would technically like his—he's—I he's, think he's still 17 right now, and so they're, they're hoping that Roger's is going to bridge the gap. Um, and, and he's like their, their blue chip guy, not not Sam Heward, by the way. He's Cal Poly, um, but different yeah. blue chip quarterback recruit that they signed. So that's kind of the the, the vision for the Washington quarterback situation. Um, but yeah, we, we still got to find out a bunch about you know NFL draft decisions. They're going to lose a ton of pieces from that passing. game. we know that Penix is out of eligibility and Dunes. I'm guessing is going to be gone. I think, I think Braylon Trice is going to be gone. I think he's going to be gone as well on the defensive line. Uh, But yeah, there's a lot of things, a lot of questions that, that we have about Washington despite the fact that obviously I love Kalen DeBoer, big, big fan of, of of what he's done, but yeah, having Arizona in that 10 spot, big Noah Fafita guy. I'll take Noah Fafita over Will Rogers. Sorry. Like that's, yeah, maybe Mississippi State fans won't like that, but the team that Arizona was down the stretch um, won seven in a row to end the season. Five of those were against AP top twenty-five teams at the time of the matchup. You know who won seven in a row last season to end the year and won the Alamo Bowl? Who? Washington. So, just saying, go. just saying. Really, it's it's really nice that they had what every like Power Five team that kind of blows up. That isn't necessarily one of these traditional powers like they avoided the the mass exodus of guys using that as an opportunity to get to a bigger program. I think yeah. they only had one transfer that's committed to a power five program so far and they're, they're going to return a, a lot of pieces from that group Uh fish getting Arizona the 10 wins with a program that ranks 43rd in the country in in the, the talent composite really impressive. We don't factor scheduling into rankings. That's not what we do, but I am excited to see that transition to the big 12. So I'm not sitting here saying that, Oh, because of their big 12 schedule, that's why they're higher in this ranking. We don't do things like that, but I do find myself being like, yes, Arizona will be part of that playoff conversation. And I love, I just love me some Noah Favita. I just want to bet on that guy. And they were one of the 10 best teams in the country down the stretch. You can't tell me otherwise.
1: Oh my gosh, man. Here's the other thing. Oof, that is sad. I just went, oh, yeah, 3 pack 12 teams. So I get it. Washington's the third one. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're a Big Ten no. team. Arizona's a Big 12 team. These teams have nothing in common anymore. That's so ah, – that's sad. That's the first time that's ever actually just hit me where I'm like, okay, wait, there was the third one? There is no third one. They're all different.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's – so by that, I have – Arizona's my top-ranked Big 12 team. Right. And the rest, the top nine is all Big Ten or SEC, which – that's yeah. kind of what the final that's what the, the, the final playoff rankings reflected as well with like Florida State is the only team that not part of one of those two conferences in the top 12. I believe that was the case if I'm not mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken like and that's include that's saying like Texas and Oklahoma future SEC teams. Oregon, Washington, future Big Ten teams. So like it's it's counting it in that department. But like the only FSU, team that isn't going.
1: FSU's got more gripes with the ACC than Michigan does with the big does with the Big Ten right now. Because <laughs> at least Michigan just won a championship. FSU is furious at the ACC that they yeah. get included. So we'll see what happens there.
0: Michigan dropped the lawsuit. FSU still has the lawsuit. Very different. they're, yes.
1: they're fighting with Congress people.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, different circumstances. So yeah. Zoo at nine, LSU at eight. Did I flip these teams based on the Blake Baker move? Yes. Yes, I did. Yes, I definitely did. Um, That's official, by the way. How funny this sport is. Two years ago, Brian Kelly obviously doesn't retain Blake Baker from that staff. Two years later, Blake Baker is the highest paid assistant in America, $2.5 million annually, which I love for LSU, specifically for Harold Perkins. That's, That's something I can get on board with. As we're talking about preseason rankings, I look at stuff like that and I say, yep, that projects really, really well. So LSU offense, even if it is downgraded in a post Jaden Daniels, Malik neighbors world um, upgrade on the LSU defense. And I I do think that there is enough to be able to justify them as a top 10 team because you still love the offensive line. It should still be one of the best units in football could be competing for that Joe Moore award again next year. But that's an LSU looks like one of those borderline. Top ten teams, and there are probably a lot of people. Like, if you're ranking them at 15 or something like that, you're saying, "Well, they lost Jane Daniels, they lost Malik Neighbors." I think there are a lot of other areas that could suggest potential win improvement, potential win improvement based on what they have in the trenches. And how they should be. You able.
1: playing DB, I think, would be massive for LSU. Um, but to yeah. be fair,
0: to be fair, I had one interception, and I I don't want to say that I was a ball hawk. Because I only had the one interception in my one year of freshman football. Um, but I did feel like I could have gotten more opportunities in man coverage on the outside than the way that our scheme was drawn up. That's mm-hmm. just, again, I'm, I'm very biased to my own self evaluation. But, you know, at LSU, I guess that's not the standard.
1: Yeah, I, I will say this and then I'll get off LSU, but the I have a tweet and or I saw a tweet and I can't remember the gentleman's name. His name was also Will, if you want to go find it in my profile, but because I retweeted it. But something very interesting about LSU, I don't think they really have a chance to be mid next year because they hired two guys or they, they're they're kind of going with a guy on offense, and a guy on defense that are both just basically going to sling it. So Nussmeier takes a lot of chances. And so is Blake Baker. And I think that's really interesting because if Nussmeier hits on most of his chances and Blake Baker, because he, uh, like I guess he sends a lot of guys on the blitz, right? And we've seen that work and not work with Blake Baker, but it's an aggressive style. Both sides of those are going to be very aggressive. So this is a team that could be just not any good because both of them don't pay off or whatever, or <laughs> it could be a team that is like blowing some teams out because they start to hit on some of those things and they start to snowball. So I think it's going to be interesting. And yeah, I think Mizzou has done enough. Like we talked about with the culture, with, with the burden. Um, I'm sure. We're gonna have Brady Cook for three more years, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> he's just waiting on he's just waiting on Drake's daughter to grow up. He's gonna hang out there, and like uh, Matthew McConaughey. No, but uh, point being, like I think, I think that uh, like that's it's a very like okay. Obviously, we know Alabama, Georgia, whatever. But we do, and I talked about this in the last one. We have a chance for Ole Miss to really do something special. Mizzou, we'll see. Right, just because Ole Miss has done a lot more in the portal, they've gotten some guys coming back and all that. But um, point being, like, I, I just think with the 12-team playoff, with the new guys coming to the conference, Texas also is a new team. It's, as SEC fans, we are used to talking about in georgia Texas is right there in terms of a team that will be there at the top of the conference, right? And so point being, like I think that as wide open as this year was, like, if we're sitting there nickel and diamond over Heisman and people getting invited to stuff and people winning awards and whatever, and next year we have a 12-team playoff, the conversation, the discourse is going to be so wild because people are really trying to get every little outside of it right now with the four team. Next year, there's, I don't, I can't wait to see what Joel Class mad at next year. It's going to be so hard, but he's going to find a way.
0: Well, the amount of people that are going to feel like going into next season that they have a playoff path, playoff level upside right. is tremendous. And so the amount of people that are going to feel like, hey, you're sleeping on this team, you're sleeping on that team, it will be through the roof. I don't think people are sleeping on zoo anymore. I don't think they yeah. are. I, I have Mizzou at nine for the reasons that you mentioned with, with Brady Cook coming back, Luther Burton the third, Theo East, all those guys got to replace some key pieces in the secondary. And obviously the Blake Baker thing is significant. Cody Schrader announced that he is off to the NFL officially, which you forget that he even had a year technically of eligibility left, but that makes a lot of sense. They got two Sunbelt guys at running back that are really intriguing, really intriguing that I think will become household names. They got Marcus Carroll from Georgia State and Nate Noel from App State. Two former 1,000-yard rushers. Carroll was sixth in the country in rushing last year. People forget about that. In one last game, he had two fewer carries than Cody Schrader. So if you're talking about like a bell cow. It's different, obviously, going up against huh? belt defenses. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> crazy. In 2024, yeah, that's, that's that's something right there. Yeah,
0: so I, I, I don't think Mizzou is a one-year wonder. I, I do think that they deserve to start off with that kind of love with the pieces that they will – that they are expected to return. I still think that they're going to probably have some other moves that they'll make in the portal. Um, okay, Ohio State, Oregon, and I, I'm going to I'm going to. I know we just talked about LSU, but I'm going to put LSU in this category. Ohio State, Oregon, and LSU are going to be really difficult to rank outside of the top ten to start any given season for me. And here's why. You can tell me about losing a quarterback, replacing this receiver, replacing that coordinator, but let's look at the facts, okay? As we mentioned last week, Brian Kelly owns the second longest active streak of 10 win seasons, and he's done that Mm -hmm. at two different schools now. Dan Landing is 22 and five as a head coach. He just signed a top five high school class. His ability to hire offensive coordinators, which is always a huge, huge hurdle for those defensive guys. That looks extremely promising already with Kenny Dillingham and Will Stein, two guys that have absolutely worked out for him so far. And as much as Ryan Day is getting dogged right now for the Michigan thing, he is still fifty-two and five against everyone else if we're excluding the three games he coached when Urban Meyer was on the shelf. I How's he said doing that Mazoo so... he is oh, zero and zero and one against zero 1. Against Mizzou. <laughs> Yes, this is true. Um, I said that Ohio State had more questions than Mizzou, but that was before the Will Howard edition, which yeah. I loved. Talked yeah. about him last year as kind of an, uh, an intriguing Heisman flyer. And obviously the Judkins edition, getting Quinchon Judkins on board at Ohio State is very important for what they're trying to do, what they're trying to establish. And we're going to get to the old Miss part of this in a second, how that impacts them. But just being able to have that bona fide star that's going to take pressure off your quarterback As he's trying to settle in with these new pass catching options, I I think that is really big for what they want to do, what they want to get back to on the offensive side of the ball. And then Jim Knowles has become one of the best defensive minds in the sport. As long as Brian Hartline is there on that staff, you're going to have weapons at receiver, even in a post-Marvin Harrison Jr. world. I still believe Ryan Day is pretty darn good at his job, but obviously the Ohio State standard, it's among the top three in the country, probably, in terms of yearly expectations and what's considered a failure, what's not maybe even higher maybe it's top two or top one even as crazy as that sounds by the way i learned uh, an interesting uh, story talking to michael Penix's high school coach last week about ryan day and about urban like uh, 2017 when ryan day is the oc at ohio state and Penix has his offer pulled from tennessee at the 11th hour even though phil fulmer calls up all these Tennessee recruits. He's like, your scholarship is going to be honored, blah, blah, blah. And then Pruitt comes in Tyson Helton is the OC. And he's like, Hey, you know what? I actually don't want Butch's guy. Let's go in a different direction at quarterback. Um, and so like when, you know, Penix's high school coach is kind of scrambling. He's like calling up people. He calls up Shiano, ironically enough, as it relates to Tennessee at that time, who stay is obviously mm-hmm. staying at Ohio state. And, uh, and Shiano talks Ryan day and like coming down and giving Penix a look because Ohio State was assuming, I think, at that time that they were going to have Emory Jones flip to Florida, which ends up happening. And they had yeah. just gotten a commitment from Matthew Baldwin, a kid who was like a three-star throughout the whole process. Doesn't end up ever being anything at Ohio State. Um, but anyway, Ryan Day comes out for this private workout at Penix's high school. And it's like winds whipping, like 25 mile an hour winds on that day. And he's just ripping it. Just crushes this workout. And Ryan Day says to him afterwards, he's like, I don't have anybody in my quarterback room that can throw like this. You're you're on a level right now, Michael Penix Jr., that is truly special. But Urban wouldn't pull the trigger. He wouldn't pull the trigger, I think, because in part, he had Tate Martell at the time. Of course. Of course, (laughs) Tathan. (laughs) Tate Tate Martell's 25, by the way. If that doesn't make you feel old, I don't know what does. Um, Yeah. And then this Baldwin kid who was from Lake Travis High School. And I think there was an expectation whether it was not one, it was wanting to do right by those guys, I think at that point. And so he Dude, never right gets the
1: Martell, a right. man famously of his word. I understand it. I mean,
0: I went through all the, like the sliding doors thinking about it because like, I was like, man, what if that, that could have, if Penix had been there and if he had been able to like take over after Dwayne Haskins was awesome in tw- 2018, and they felt really good about Panics, Did they not recruit Justin Fields out of like, you know, to, to get him on board to transfer uh, just, just, interesting sliding doors but a fun little panics anecdote that kind of gets lost in the shuffle of his entire career um and everything but I, that's my way of saying i think ryan ryan day knows quarterback talent still and i think he knows it when he sees it even when urban doesn't want to pull the trigger on am giving a kid an offer um what are we talking about oh yeah rankings <laughs> it's early rankings uh, any thoughts on that before i get to Ole miss
1: um no makes sense
0: all right Ole miss at five i'm not as high as our guy breck you can't start Ole miss ahead of Bama or georgia you can't do that in my opinion i think you're getting frisky if you're doing that if you've got them outside of your top 10 though i think you're a hater i'll just say it i think you're a hater yeah i thought about the judkins thing and how much that should impact my preseason ranking. To just have an all-american that you thought was going to be there that's all of a sudden not
1: an off to ohio state but that's kind of what they had this year honestly like you yep. missed enough time and like Ulysses was that guy. I'm not as weird. Because they already went through a year with it, and they were kind of better. Like
0: Lane just had his worst rushing attack at Ole Miss. Yeah. He had his worst rushing attack, and that was a year two Judkins, which in theory should have been the best player that he has had at the position. And we say that as guys that loved Snoop Connor back in the day. Yep. Back in the day, Ooh, like three years ago. Yeah. Oh, he was so fun to watch. Uh loved Ely, the player that he was in everything in Paris, like that Lane had really good backs early on at Ole Miss, so I'm not trying to discredit them or anything like that. But you would think your two Judkins would have been your best rushing attack that you had. If I am betting, though, I'm going to say that, yes, Lane is going to figure it out, and he'll probably have an even better rushing attack. Cumulatively, not with just one right. guy, but cumulatively, he will have a better rushing attack than the 176 rushing yards per game that they averaged this year. Ole Miss wasn't in the top half of FBS in rushing yards per carry. With Judkins this season. That's crazy. 4.28 yards per carry. Basically the same as 2019 FAU, which was his last year there. That was post-Devin Singletary. FAU 2019, still won 11 games. Historic season. Lane just found a way. So I think Judkins is awesome. He is is great. But do I think this is some case where Ole Miss can only function if it has that superstar back? No, I, I don't. Vibes are still high, in my opinion. I am on board with Ole Miss starting at number five, and I realize I'm probably going to have to be the guy that talks more people into them than out of them with the preseason conversation.
1: Yeah, and I definitely don't want to try to say they're better. I almost phrase this as they're better without Judkins. I don't believe that, but I will say that, you know, you got to have everybody pull up in the same direction. And I think that Layton was just kind of in an interesting spot with a guy in Judkins who all the stories are written. He was like kind of this diamond in the rough. That was his guy. Like he discovered him, quote, unquote. And then, like I said, you know, he's getting hurt. He wasn't as effective. And so, you know, you kind of get into that weird. It was almost like the, uh, like the herd Camaro situation almost in a way where it's like, ah, like we promised this guy this stuff, but like, and we, he's a good player, but we just can't, can't, can't make it all work. Um, and, and to your point, it's like, yeah, they actually have a huge area of improvement, which is that we talked about it. Tennessee and Ole Miss are fundamentally running teams. Like that's one of the things that we always talk about that. And, and last year, they were effective on the ground. We talk about 4.2 yards of carry. I mean, when you think about how college football works now often, not how – I mean, you, know, you do play some FCS teams. You do play, like, some out-of-conference teams. Usually, you know, if you're a team like Lane Kiffin's team, you're going to run the score up on those teams so much that – by the aggregate, you end up in, like, the five, stuff like that. Um, like I said, look at Oregon. Like, they were out there, and for a period of the year, they were up in, like, the seven yards of carry range after they played Colorado. And so, point being, like, that's the type of stuff you kind of expect from Lane Kiffin. Um, I love the FAU comp singles; I actually going to bring them up in terms of the best backs at Lane's coach. Not really worth it because, at the end of the day, the vibe is the same, that they ended up being fine without him as well. Um, and that was kind of one thing that maybe guys weren't waiting on as far as ADs, but it was like, you know, they saw them, him without Singletary. And it wasn't just one player, like a Jameis Jimbo type five. It was like, no, this guy can actually kind of build a little bit of a program. He can kind of get some new guys in there. He can move stuff around. So in terms of the guys that are at Ole Miss, they're all bought in, you know, they're the guys from last year, Judkins, whatever you have to say about him, you know, he thought enough to get in the transfer portal and go to Ohio state. So it's better to have guys that fundamentally want to be there. And that's what's funny about the transfer portal in six, eight months, you really do not have time unless you're Ben Simmons, you're sour in a place, you know what I'm saying? Like you could really come in for a year or two, have fun, get on out of there, see you, you know, hotty toddy over the course of your recruitment. And we've talked about this, you have six, seven, eight years, making guys promises, making relationships with their families, doing all that. You start to say some stuff that you get held accountable for just the nature of the business. And so I think it's almost better to have the guys that are already bought in Throw in some short-term guys that you know. Hey, this is a one, two-year contract. You are in and out of here. We're good, and that's where they're at. They have a roster that everybody wants in.
0: I think they're going to have some whiffs in this portal class. I, yeah. I don't think it's going to be a hundred percent success rate. I really don't. I, I think that mm-hmm. more likely than not, you will get the the occasional Zachary Franklin case. Right? You, you'll get the guy that just doesn't work out, and for whatever reason, it, it just does. That alignment isn't necessarily there. The receiver that they got from from A and M, where you know you hear the the comment where. Or, or, or Lane is throwing Jimbo under the bus for, for him making a big time catch and not being able to line up quickly enough uh, in, in the spring game. And then, you know, soon after he's, he's kicked off the team. And like there, there will probably be a couple of those guys, maybe a few of those guys, but they have also taken more chances to be able to elevate their team's talent level with sec ready players that I question that a lot less. And so that's, that's why there are people like myself that are willing to say, yes, even after a historically successful season, they can replicate that, and they can find a way to still have a, a highly effective offense, even after the blow of losing Judkins, which would have added to their to, to to all of their buzz, their mojo. But it doesn't totally derail it, in my opinion. Yep. Okay. One through four. Michigan is tough, man. Like Michigan is impossible in the rank at this point. Maybe by the time people are listening to this, we're gonna have more of an idea. Of what in the world this is going to look like, but I'm kind of projecting that McCarthy and/or Harbaugh they're gone. Maybe maybe I should be projecting that
1: McCarthy's back, and that's kind of why I'm hedging a little bit with the top four spot. You assume that that doesn't matter. I'm not even being mean, but like, is he good enough to elevate a program? I honestly don't really think so. I
0: I'll push back on that a little bit. I I have become more of a McCarthy fan, watching him even closer um, in these meaningful games. Just because like I, I think I, I think there's there's a perception that he doesn't have to do as much in this Michigan offense, which is true. But I do think that if they decide, hey, our backfield pieces are going to be different next year, assuming that Corum is very likely gone, even though he technically still has another year of eligibility, like I I do think there is room to tweak the Michigan offense to look different than it did this year and still be very effective. I do think that there is that potential, especially if they get some additions in the portal uh, at receiver and they get some things to kind of go their way there. Um, So I'll Mm -hmm. I'll give them that. I I think I'm willing to to do that at this point. I'm not saying that McCarthy should be Heisman worthy or anything like that. I I don't like the people that are, and if you kind of see it reflected in the early Heisman odds, even the high, like what the odds makers are kind of looking at that going, "Mm, you know what? We actually got to probably sweeten this a little bit more. We can't make him, one of the three or four favorites or, or something like that. Maybe part of it is baked in knowing that he can still, you know, decide that he wants to go to the NFL or, or whatever, but I'll, I'll defend Michigan a little bit in, in that way. Um, but they're going to lose a lot of key pieces in the trenches. That's just reality. Coaching changes could have a major impact to on what this roster looks like. And even, you know, more and Minter, like what their future is. There are a lot of things that can happen with this Michigan team that just kind of make you feel like, this is tough to rank right now. And I am assuming that my ranking of Michigan will change by the time that that is locked in in August for the preseason. So you're banking on the fact that even if they don't return Harbaugh and if they do make the internal decision to promote more, I I still would feel like Michigan is in such a good place though. And they would Mm -hmm. still have a lot of ammo in their favor. And yeah, this is, this was kind of the last dance in a lot of different ways, but I still feel like their floor is higher than like some 2017 Michigan team or something like that. That just was like decent, but even a full strength Michigan team got, you know, beat by South Carolina in the bowl game like that. I don't think that that Michigan is about to, to experience a floor like that. So that's why I still have them pretty high.
1: We all remember that. Yeah. um, This is kind of the only one where I'm just like, I gotta wait. I gotta see who's like, it's really just about Harbaugh McCarthy. I, I'm that guy that's like I don't always I feel like if I don't have a take on something that I'm kind of good and that's all right. give me three four days let me see what's going on because you know it, it's uh, and, and I get it but this is the only team like that where it's like we don't know if their coach is coming back we don't know if their quarterback's coming back we don't know and you're right like Moore has coached enough games at this point where it feels like we kind of get. Him, but I think it's one of those. I like, guess he declares who they even get. I mean, I'm sure there's some guys that can even get in the portal. I know you can't enter the portal, but you can still get guys out of it. And so, point being, um, yeah, I just gotta wait and see on that.
0: Yeah, they'll have a lot of post spring portal petitions probably, where it'll, it'll be understood yep. probably, and um, in those conversations, I'm sure are being had right now about those guys. Yeah. Um. Okay. Bama at three. As tempting as it is to just say. Hey, SEC champs brought back starting quarterback with a lot of pieces that I like in the running back room. There are a lot of questions about Bama and not just Kevin Steele, what his role was on the defense. Maybe Lane was right. Maybe he wasn't actually a defensive coordinator. Who knows? Uh, that secondary, which I thought was a major strength, maybe the strength of this team. It's going to look mm-hmm. really different next year. That, that we know. Your top edge rusher, Dallas Turner, he's gone. But here's the other alarming thing. I still don't feel like I have any idea who that go-to receiver will be. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a Burton guy. We weren't Burton guys. He's gone. That was probably the best news that Bama fans, a lot of Bama fans were, were hoping for in terms of like an NFL draft decision or something like that. A guy that, oh, like he declares and uh, all right, we're, we're okay with that. Go, go on to the next chapter. Um, mm-hmm. Malik Benson, once considered the top Juco recruit in America. He had 13 catches for 162 yards, one touchdown. He's in the portal. Mm -hmm. Mm once expected to be the next great Bama receiver. He had three catches for 30 yards, no touchdowns. He's in the portal. Just because you're an Iron Bowl hero doesn't mean you are primed for superstardom. Mm -hmm. Apply that to Isaiah Bond. Good young player. Good player. He averaged 3.4 catches per game. 48 receiving yards per game. He had one game with 80 receiving the yards. biggest,
1: loudest three receptions a game of all time. The boy was like John Brown.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. A little bit, a little bit A.D. Mitchell-esque um, yeah. in some ways, which look, A.D. Mitchell had his had his best season and turned out to be a really good player. Um, probably, uh, I don't want to say poor man's A.D. Mitchell, but you get what I'm saying. Um, so there's, there's that part of it. Kobe Prentice, another good young player entering year three was held to one or fewer catches in 10 of the 13 games that he played in. So if you're saying he's going to be a go-to receiver, I don't think that's fair. Amari Black, dynamic tight end, probably going to get too much preseason love. And there are other guys that I'm going to be like kind of miffed if he ends up all SEC ahead of them. Um, I thought he was getting ready to be a stud after that really nice September that he had. But after September, zero games with more than two catches, zero games with more than 43 receiving yards. I don't know that any of these guys can consistently separate. And that's the question that I continue to have. The good news is that Milrow is going to get all these first team reps with those guys in this offense, which he wasn't even getting all the first team reps in season, obviously with the whole USF situation. So still question about
1: Milrow? He's going to let those naysayers know.
0: <laughs> I was so confused watching that entire Reese Davis thing. I had no idea what was going on. I text you, I still don't have the, the the full explanation of what that means. And if that makes me old, then so be it. I, I'm okay well, being kind I'll of I'll tell in
1: the you. Outs. You threw that to me. I was like, I don't even want to touch this yet. The actual thing is, let all naysayers know, which makes a lot more sense. Like Bobani mm-hmm. Jones went to his website, looked it all up, and it's like, it's only funny when it's let a naysayer know. Let all naysayers know makes sense. <laughs> Honestly, it's a good slogan.
0: I'm, I'm just going to trust him with that with that slogan and trust that the, the, the best intentions are there. Um, but yeah, we, we still have questions about Bama. We still have questions. Still have questions of receivers. Still have questions. Who's going to snap the football? That elementary thing that we know learned. who's not. We know who's not. It is not Seth McLaughlin, which uh, he did not make my projection, my, my rundown, my preseason ranking of Ohio State, the conversation. Uh, not part of that. Mm, not part yeah. of
1: that. Yeah, uh, But yeah, bam I, 3. I, I will say, you know, this is one thing I forgot about until I talked to my UCF buddies the other day. I, you know who would be the number one receiver out there? Javon Baker. <laughs> that is a guy that they just let go that they were wrong about. That guy has been awesome for UCF. And I think and it's been what we're going in the year since Bryce Young's first year. So I guess you're now three of being like, where are these five-star receivers Alabama keeps getting because I don't see them. Um, and I mean, now we're getting into the thing where the draft guys are like, you know, that Jermaine Burton, it's real fiery, it's competitive. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on where these guys go into this machine and they're five stars. They go to Bama and they're, uh, they, they can't get separation and then they leave and everyone thinks they're good. I don't know, but it's just, it's hard to predict. I'm not even saying that to be mean. I just have no idea. I mean, for the now, what, two years in a row, we said in the off season, both times, who's the Bama is going to step up? The answer ultimately was kind of as a bomb, as weird as that sounds because yeah. in the big moments he was there. Um, but he wasn't like you know, it wasn't a doomsday or something. He wasn't like carrying the team. Um, Not that it was, but you know what I'm saying? So point being, uh, Marvin Anderson Jr. There you go. <laughs> so point being like, it wasn't like he was, you know, the guys they had the first year. It wasn't like the guys that, you know, got hurt in the national championship game, not going to rehash all that, but maybe that guy's on the roster, but we've kind of seen two years of. Eh. So we'll see. And Bama's is going to be really interesting. You know, you talked about steel retiring I think this year is a pretty, like, like as great of a job as it was for Saban, I do think the end result was a little frustrating for him. So I think he probably will change it around a couple of things. Um, and it is going to be year two in that offense. So I think that really does matter a lot.
0: I think I think that's important. I do. And mm-hmm. I, I've had to talk people into, like, why Milrow is starting off as one of the Heisman favorites since, okay, everybody that finished ahead of him is gone. <laughs> right. He finished sixth in the Heisman voting. All five guys that finished ahead of him are, are gone. So that's kind of okay. the way that this that this typically works. And understanding that he still was improved down the stretch, despite the fact that obviously the Rose Bowl did not go his way. So Texas at two.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This is totally contingent on Quinn Ewers being back. Assuming he He's is back.
1: Back? No.
0: <laughs> too soon. Way too soon. Well. Um, Assuming he is back, then that obviously changes the trajectory of what Texas is capable of year one in the SEC. And I know they're losing a lot. Brooks, Worthy, Mitchell, Sanders, Murphy, like studs that we know are already going to be gone. The Mitchell announcement hasn't been official yet, but I think he was trending in that direction. Still got a wealth of experience on that O-line, though. Four starters expected back. That is huge as we talk about Mm -hmm. Texas and being able to get on the SEC elite level in the trenches and they've stacked their third consecutive top five class. That's, yeah. that's important. It really is. I trust the development of Texas in ways that I have not in a long, long time. And that's and they're
1: sending offensive players to the draft for the first time since, uh, since the Bush administration. Good for them.
0: Well, last year when Texas finally had their first offensive player drafted in the first round since Vince Young, mm-hmm. B. John Robinson was that thank God Arthur Smith was fired. Um, they, they now, this year, might have two offensive players drafted in the first round. They might have Worthy and Mitchell, both drafted mm-hmm. in the first round. Not crazy. Would not be crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this year showed that Texas is returning. Returning. It's an active process. Active process. Mm-hmm. I love that the average scoring margin in Big 12 play was plus 17. That's darn good. That's not even including the most impressive thing they did, which was go into Bama and beat the tie by double digits. Nor is it including the fact that going up against the Doak Walker award and a have-to-have-it Big 12 championship, all they did was hold them to 2.6 yards per carry. And that was, I don't want to say completely like 2015 Bama against Leonard Fournette. I didn't wake up and choose violence, Will. I did not. I <sighs>
1: I was already nice to that team today. You have to do that, bro.
0: Yeah, that was mean. I'm sorry, but just (laughs) very
1: nice to Texas.
0: Texas is a reminder. It takes talent. It takes scheme. It takes coaching. They have all three of those things. And this is the first time that I've really felt that Texas can stay at the top of the college football hierarchy. So Texas at two might sound a bit like I'm sipping too much of the Kool-Aid, but coming off the playoff berth with the things that we saw Sark do this season, I don't think that's crazy.
1: Yeah, I think, I think two things can be true. So I would put them a little bit lower, but still top 10. I would say that the adjustment of, you know, we always talk about the hundred versus the hundred and how hard that transition is and how many coaches have struggled with that. And I think part of that is again, you know, losing some talent, but for them joining the SEC, right? I mean, Texas has been a team, even in the past two years, that kind of the doldrums of the regular season have snuck up on, them. you know what I'm saying? And talk about the TCU game last year, uh, 2022, you know what I'm saying? So I think that the week to week, of not getting these kind of easier big 12 teams is going to be something I need to see. So I don't know enough, you know, and I think, and to be clear, that's what I'm saying. The other thing is that I do like what they're building. I think that maybe they get punched in the mouth this year. I say punched in the mouth. Uh, let's say they finish top 15. Okay. Then probably next year it's like, okay, well now we know that, you know, if we go into this environment, it's going to be like this. we know this, I mean, you you just gotta, it's just such a big adjustment and they're losing so much. And to your point about yours, he's a great quarterback, he's great. I've always loved him. I'm very pro Uh, arm sleeve quarterbacks with the tattoos I think that's super cool we've seen more and more of those guys Bryce was one of those guys so I'm waiting to get some tatted up quarterbacks so I I love him I like that he's gone from he's the only guy I've seen go from chonky boy swole to like hi nice to meet you mrs whatever like he got got that nice to meet you the parents hand haircut going on so I don't I I think he's a great leader I just think it's more about the grind of the SEC not to sound trite but I I, that's that's I think they'll be good just not great
0: don't you think, though, that Texas kind of answered some questions about being the hunted? They came into this year as the favorite to win the Big 12. We had a lot of off-season discussion about, will Texas be back this year? And I think yeah. by winning the Big 12 as convincingly as they did, I'm not saying that the Oklahoma loss was was fluky, but it was a game that went down to the wire against a, a team that won 10 games, a rivalry game. like mm-hmm. that, that happens, and that was the lone regular season blemish en route to a very convincing Big 12 championship. Like, I, I think that they kind of answered some of these questions. And they, I, I oh, thought I it was remember. telling – they were the least talked about team going to the playoff. And they, and, oh, it, yeah. and you would have thought if Texas got to that place, they'd be the most talked about team. And instead, it was like, oh, well, Texas just kind of did it, went about its business in the least dramatic way possible.
1: Um, I mean, in a way, right? But they also lost to uh, – or they're not lost to, but they also almost – they struggled really mightily with Houston. You know what I'm saying? So that's a game that if that's even like an Arkansas – Maybe they could pull off. You know what I'm saying? So that's my thing. Like, I, I've seen them play actually a pretty good amount, and they do kind of fall into that little bit of like a humdrum and we push you around, and then they go, oh crap, and they wake up. And I think that you can do that in the Big 12. But, you know, like I said, the TCU game last year, they probably could have should have won that game. They just couldn't score more than like 10 points. And so, point being, like, I, I think I just kind of see like the week to week to week to week of it, where it's not, oh, you can go get healthy for this game. You can go da da da. So, and especially with all the teams in the SEC, I think that, how about this? Maybe quality-wise, they won't be that much worse, but wins and losses, I think they will. And it doesn't speak on their, where they're going or anything like that. You know, it's big on them this year, obviously. I just think it's going to be a lot harder for them next year.
0: Could be. Def- definitely could be. I-, I would also say, like, if, if, we're do- if we're doing that, like, hey, they, th- this was a game that if they had been against SEC competition, they would have lost. Like, all right, then what about Bama and the, the fourth quarter collapse that they nearly had against Arkansas? Where, like, Mil- oh, I got Texas lots Marekos of questions play. in Alabama.
1: That's what yeah. I'm saying. I, I think, you know what I'm saying? Like, even like a Georgia, I'm like, well, you guys at least, like, consistently, 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 consistently put teams down. Like, I would believe in that more than some of the stuff I've heard, you know, previously with these other teams.
0: Fair. All right, let's get to Georgia. Georgia's won. Mm-hmm. It's not just the Carson Beck thing. I'll admit, it's a big part of it. And I'm, if Carson Beck was in the NFL, I wouldn't have Georgia at one. But a lot of these, uh, the draft eligible guys that are coming back, I, I've liked some of these, these announcements. I know that they've lost a lot, but getting Stackhouse, Small Munden, Tate Ratlidge, getting these guys back, I'm guessing that Lovett and Rara Thomas are both coming back. I don't think we've had an official announcements on those guys yet. And while Kirby isn't a big portal guy, I love the pass catcher additions that he's made. London Humphreys is going to be a big time contributor after he was one and done at Bandy. Colby Young experienced 6'5 wide out from Miami. Could also benefit from better quarterback play. He had ten touchdowns in these last two seasons with Miami. Georgia's top four receivers in twenty twenty four could all be former portal guys, so that's that's interesting. That's kind of a shift in in philosophy and Kirby, a shift in scouting at least, in being able to say, "Hey, we're going to go plug and play a little bit at that spot." More so, maybe, and maybe that's just a twenty twenty four thing, but it is kind of shaping up that way. Hey, we think you were really good at this power five spot this smaller power five school, we're going to bring you on board. You've got Mississippi State, Mizzou, Vandy. Um, Miami is a small power five school in the 21st century. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but you get what I'm saying. It's like that's kind of a little bit how they've addressed these immediate needs at the receiver position Then obviously Oscar Delp, somebody that got more reps this year, those reps that he got with Brock Powers out should be very valuable in 2024. The biggest addition, though, for Georgia is Trevor Etienne. Trevor Etienne coming into that backfield is so huge, especially with Edwards and Milton off to the NFL. Etienne being the best back in the SEC, especially with Judkins off to Ohio State, with Schrader off to the NFL, I think that's a possibility. I, I really do. And I know, I know I'm know, i sipping the Trevor Etienne Kool-Aid a lot. I really am. But I think he's kind of the second coming of DeAndre Swift. I think he's that good. I hmm. like You could look at some of the things that they did their first two seasons too. Mm-hmm. and 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 see the efficiency and see the workload and you're like man if he gets what swift got in and swift a guy that's dealt with injury issues more more so probably in his pro career dealt with them kind of at different points that he would kind of play through during his college career but like etn's actually been a little bit healthier in that way too I, i'm not saying he's going to be better than deandre swift but man like he's also george's last thousand yard rusher which is kind of crazy to think about the good backs they've had in there since then with yeah. you know, white and cook and, and I love McIntosh too, but a different type of back than what ETN is, is going to be. But I just think Georgia's Georgia's floor in the backfield is so unbelievably high and ETN should, should benefit from that. Georgia's floor as a whole is, is unbelievably high and keeping Glenn Schumann on board too, kind of one of mm-hmm. the biggest non moves of, of the assistant cycle. At least it appears right now that Glenn Schuman is not going to be on the move. Um, very, very important. So, yeah, Georgia number one, not necessarily a crazy take to have the dogs at the top spot going into next season.
1: Yeah, I think – so I would say this. To me, I imagine DeAndre Swift – this is my imagination. I'm not going to Google all this right now. But I, I do imagine Swift being a little bit more, like, bruising. I know he's not necessarily the, like – you know, he's not Derrick Henry, but I do imagine him having a little bit more of that to his game. I think that Etienne is, like, a super Saiyan cook to me. Like, I think that he is, like, a guy who is a sick receiving threat – I think that probably Georgia and, and what they more of like would push him on is that, okay, we're obviously going to get you to the next level. get you get, get to do these skills, get you on these coaches, all this different stuff. But I do think that like, I wouldn't imagine him being a short yardage back for them in the way that Swift was at times, you know what I'm saying? So that's my only pushback. I think the ETN is an amazing, like I've been the biggest ETN guy from the jump, considering that, you know, we picked Florida from Louisiana, all that stuff. I'd never had a negative word to say about the guy. I I, I think that the way that they will use him is going to be, this is Mike Bobo we're talking about. If they, if they kind of get innovative with him, like if Todd Munkin had him, it would be devastating. He would be one of the best, most unique, almost uh, Jameer Gibbs-like vibes to him because he can kind of do anything. Like he's a guy that, you know, joking about pass blocking, who cares about that? He's a guy that every time he's on the field, you got to account for him, right? And so hopefully Bobo can say, okay, this is a guy. Maybe we line him up at receiver a little bit. Maybe we put him some bubble screens going outside, Maybe we do that type of stuff. So I think that, and like I said, I think he's a great running back, but he's more of a, like a, a playmaker. You know what I'm saying? He's a guy that he's a great runner. He has a great vision. He can do all this, but at Georgia, I think we're going to find a good way to put him in to optimize his best spots and then also kind of pick up his, his lower spots. And that's what Georgia's for. Strength and conditioning, having guys that can always pick you up. You know,
0: do you know how big Deandre Swift was at the combine? Take no. a guess.
1: Take a guess. Oh, gosh, man. So, I don't think he's that tall. So, I want to say he's like 5'9", 200. How big is he? He's 5'8", 212. 5'8", 212 is (laughs) – there's only a couple of those walking around.
0: I remember, like – because you see some of these guys in pads. I do think some guys look bigger in pads than they do without, which is a weird thing to say. Yeah. But I hadn't seen him without pads, I don't think, until I was at IMG for that Justin Jefferson story. And that was – pre-draft stuff. So it was like a a lot of these guys that were, you know, first round conversation and, um, and Swift was doing his own workout because he was, um, I think he was doing knee rehab or something like that. And I remember looking at him that day going, dang, you are a lot smaller than what I thought you were. And ETN has a frame that is really not that far off that. And there are people listening to this saying, well, that doesn't mean that he's going to be the next DeAndre Swift, DeAndre Swift, like put his foot in the dirt and just would devastate people. I fully on board with that. I love me some DeAndre Swift. I, I love him. So I don't, I don't throw that around lightly, but it's interesting how we talk about workload with some of these backs and this perception that this guy can't handle this. And this guy can, because one guy creates it. One guy craves this contact and one guy doesn't. And that was interesting with Cody Schrader this year is we talk about Mm -hmm. him, a guy with really something like, you look at Cody Schrader's arms, and they're all tatted up, and you're just like, that dude is freaking yoked, and he wants to embrace this contact. It's a little bit different than the style that Trevor Etienne has has had to have. And I'm not saying that he's going to reinvent himself, that they're the exact same player, but you talk about how you can benefit from having an offensive line that's going to give you that advantage every single time. Florida's offensive line in 2022 was so much better than what it was in 2023. Significantly better. A lot more consistent. And that those games where where like ETM would just be taken out and they were just like, oh, well, Florida can't run the football today. Georgia doesn't really have those games. Georgia has those right. games where you look up and you're like, oh, they couldn't really, really run the football today, but it was 30 carries for 115 yards. And they yep. still can be effective. And right. on Florida's worst day, it was so much worse. And he would be taken out of the game plan because he couldn't pass protect. And so like that's the part right there that I yeah, it's projecting. I'm I'm totally projecting anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> We're laughing here because it's it's a ridiculous premise to think about and how big of a. Sorry,
1: that, that's why I'm laughing at you. just like, oh, he yeah. just got to take ET out anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like it's just it's maddening. So I, I do think that he's going to be used in those spots. Georgia has been a lot more willing than others, I think, in this offense to use running backs in pass catching spots, and that's was true with Munkin and it was true with Bobo. I thought at times this year uh, as well, but yeah, it is uh, it is going to be an interesting conversation. Dylan Bell, also a guy that I'm assuming it's going to be a, a significant part of this offense this year. But, yeah, I guess I'm high on Georgia. Do you, Would you have Georgia at number one if you if you were yeah. doing your own ranking?
1: Okay, Yeah, and like I said, I just think it's consistency. I think that you look at the three spots below them, and there's just way more question marks than there are for Georgia. Georgia's got returning offensive coordinator, returning quarterback. You know, They added ETN. Yeah, they're losing Brock Bowers, but Oscar Delp is like, who wouldn't start him right now? I mean, like almost every – I say every SEC team probably just based on what you saw, at Georgia would probably start him. I'm sure there's some other tight ends that are like they like their guy or whatever. But seeing what we saw and the big catches he made and the way that he was able to block and do the all around part of it, so they lost. I mean, maybe a top uh, two or three player in the SEC, he just didn't play a full season, so you just know. I mean, maybe he blows up in the postseason; he's right there with Jaden Daniels, or maybe he's above him if he does in the postseason. But he's he's done it before, you know what I'm saying? So that you lose a guy that talented, and you think, oh gosh, what are we gonna do? And then you look at Georgia, and you're like. We'll probably be fine. Yeah, you're not going to have to like
0: change your drastically change your offense. Like, and I realize Oscar right. Delp does not bring the things that Brock Bowers does in an entire capacity. Like, he's still not the run blocker. Well, yeah, that Brock Bowers born on Earth, but he was human. he was born on Earth and he could still be yeah. a highly effective tight end and run a lot of the things that that you would like to be able to do with with using those guys like coming across running that flat route, like running that route where they're coming across the line, where they have a motion and they hit them. And it's like just a free seven yards. They do that all the time in Georgia's offense. Like I think Delp is still very capable of doing that. And we saw him make ridiculous catches as well. So I, I get what you're trying to say. Like Some people might interpret that as saying like, Oh, Oscar Delp is the next Brock Powers." It's not what we're saying. It's no. just about trying to be able to, to still execute your offense.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm right there with Georgia. I think that you know this was a growing year for Georgia, like it or not. You had a first-year starter, you had a first-year OC, you just lost a guy who is probably now likely going to coach the NFL MVP and Lamar Jackson, um, and Todd Munkin. So yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think that that stuff is you know, and I think you're right about Shulman. As much as I want to see a Will Champ only coach Schuman, like so I can watch him, yeah,
0: Shulman. Every- yeah, I think it? that you, no, no, you no, always no. say Shulman. I always I always find myself I'm like, is he talking about the announcer? Because the announcer is Shulman. And, and but but Schumann, but you're good. We we know who you're talking about.
1: Yeah, Schumann. Yeah, but point being, like like I, as much as I would love to see a Will champ coach defense solo, because I feel like I'm sure that like when Kirby most champ talk, they like, oh. That kid Schumann, you know, what's he doing? I would love to see like their dynamic as a one-to-one, but I think he's a really smart guy. I think he's that type of like tactician. We saw Dan Landing bring in, like you said, a couple of guys like that on offense. That's the solid coordinator that Kirby's tree likes. Like it's not it's not a lot of lame kiffins in the Kirby tree. Like even though what Muschamp has a little bit of that in him, he kind of put him like, okay, you can like you'll be there with Schumann, though. Schumann, sorry. Um, yeah, so I, I think that it's just built really well. I think that this year was the year to get your legs on Georgia, as funny as that sounds.
0: Yeah, a, a team that lost one game and it still uh, has not lost a regular season game since 2020. So yeah, yeah if you're arguing against Georgia at number one, um, I, you're not having them below two, in my opinion, probably going into this upcoming season. So that's that's the way to early top 10, Arizona 10, Mizzou 9, LSU 8, Oregon 7, Ohio State 6, Ole Miss 5, Michigan 4, Bama 3, Texas 2, Georgia at 1. Um, Will, let's close here with a new thing that we're doing this off season that we talked about a few weeks ago, Jersey day, Jersey day is going to be every day on Saturday on South podcast until for the notice, until I run out of jerseys. That's basically how we're going to be able to do this. But we're essentially having a Jersey off or this is a a, a, a challenge to try and find who has the best Jersey in their respective closets. So I'd like to get some sort of uh, interaction from our listeners on this as well, but you are kicking us off with a Jersey that I did not know that you had that I, I don't know how many people can say that they have this one in their closet. So please share the details of one, why you decided to buy this jersey that you were wearing and two, how you acquired
1: it. 100%. So this is a uh, Joe Burrow, Athens, Ohio high school jersey. So got the A on there, got the number 10. Uh, that's what he went to before he switched to nine. Obviously big uh, Drew Brees stan like myself. And yeah, it was in, it was around my birthday last year, like 2022. And I was uh, at the Mall of Louisiana, and there's a jersey shop, and there was all kinds of really cool stuff. You guys are in the Mall of Louisiana. There's a really cool game store, and there's a jersey shop. I was living in both of those for a day. And uh, th- I saw it, and I was like, wow. Like, at that point, I already had, obviously, the L- LSU jersey with the Burrow on it, and then the Bengals jersey. So I was like, I got to get the Athens one. That's super cool. It, like, It's actually cool to watch the jerseys get more official because this very much just looks like a high school like PE jersey. I thought it was. I thought it was. Yeah. This is like a tearaway jersey because he's like – kind of old enough to where he was kind of in our generation where it's like the jerseys that we got were not great and then they got better as we kind of got older like our junior senior years But like this is you know around that era so I think it was super cool like start with the Athens Ohio and how much that means to him then the LSU jersey obviously the white and then the Bengals jersey for the Super Bowl so yeah I think uh, it's just a, an athlete I love I think he's a good he's about the right things which is cool to say as an athlete so that's the, uh, that's the jersey of the day man.
0: That's, uh, that's pretty impressive when you dip into the high school ranks and, and pull out like the real ones, know The real ones will look mm-hmm. at that and know. And I guess that makes me not a real one that I didn't know immediately that that was at Joe Burrow High School jersey. Um, I, I'm I'm giving that a a very high grade in my book. I think you know you're, we're not going to necessarily critique the the Athens, Ohio like color scheme here. That's all we're here yeah. to do. But the story behind it is is definitely good and and and, it is, and it should probably be part of this. It should probably be part of this this jersey contest that we are going to be doing is. It's kind of what has gone into the acquiring of said Jersey or, you know, any sort of uh, emotional, sentimental ties to it, but it's a good way to start. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to trade off wearing jerseys every episode until I run out of jerseys in my closet. And basically I'm able to justify saying, Hey, I still wear these all the time. I shouldn't be getting rid of these. That's,
1: this that's is really you of two out. or three years that you could tell Lauren, look, I wore all these jerseys back to back to back to back. I just never know if I'm going to do that again.
0: She's going to say, when was the last time you wore this Montreal Canadiens jersey? And I'm going to say, by the way, <laughs> upcoming, <laughs> little teaser for the people. Um, and I'm going to say, well, I wore it this year. So you can't get rid of something that you wore this year unless you yep. damage it. So that's, that's how we're going to do this.
1: Yeah, I, I've already burned my uh, Berlin hockey jersey. So because you guys already saw that. So you're going to cook me in hockey. So I got to really catch up other places.
0: I'm not going to cook you in hockey. That's all. <laughs> we're not deep. <laughs> we're not. We're oh, you out. got two hockey jerseys. You got I'm more rolling. than me. <laughs> we're, we're not rolling. I, I've long wanted a, a mighty ducks Jersey, but we have not gotten to that place uh, just yet to justify it. Um, okay. Plan for later this week, I'm going to do like a, in case you or I missed it with all sorts of personnel moves that have happened in the sec that I maybe haven't been able to dig into quite yet like Kevin Steele retiring, Hugh Freeze firing Phil Montgomery. Some of these guys that are coming back that I'm really fired up about. Brew McCoy, very excited about that. Um, but I think that'll be the plan for for later in the week. So we'll we'll hit on a lot of these things that we haven't necessarily had the time to be able to talk about um, in these these postseason pods that we've done. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch every episode of the Saturday Down South podcast, which is presented by Texas Beat. Follow us on the app, formerly known as Twitter. At the SCS Pod, at Sat Down South, at C J at Go So Hard. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.